Digital Marketing Radio, episode 159. What makes a good domain name for a website? DigitalMarketingRadio.com Digital Marketing Radio is part of the 3B Podcast Network. UK casters talking business growth. Find out more over at 3BPN.com The Big Interview with David Bain I'm David Bain and today I'm joined by a man who has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. He's been the editor of a site covering the business of domain names for over 10 years now. Welcome to DMR, Andrew Alaman. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on, Andrew. Well, you can find Andrew over at DomainNameWire.com. So, Andrew, is a .com always best? <laughs> You're starting with a difficult question there. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not always best if you can't get a good .com. Uh, is kind of my answer there. So, it, and it depends on what country you live in as well. So, so you know, if you have about thirty different letters in there and four different words, and people can't, can't spell, spell it, it don't bother. Then maybe you should go with something else. And and you know, it depends a lot. Uh, you know, if you travel around in certain countries, you'll see that .dot coms are actually pretty rare. Uh, I remember going to uh, Prague many years ago, and everyone had their their country code domain names. Um, yes. So, uh, whereas in, in the United States, .com is kind of the de facto country code, even though we have... It uh, is, even though you've got d- .us. .us, you know, US you know. but, you know, it's not... Uh, unfortunately, it, it hasn't really been a, a big success. But, um, you know, but there are all these new alternatives now, these new alternative domain name extensions. And so, um, I call them top-level domains. That's the official term, but just what's right of the dot, right? What, you know, mm. instead of .com. So, we're all familiar with com net and org but there are things like guru now dot marketing dot ninja um so there are a lot of options out there and and sometimes it makes sense for people now i mean i come from uh, quite an extensive seo background and digital mm-hmm. uh, general digital marketing background and i've experienced and uh, have the understanding that domain names like dot biz dot info um don't get much Google love and um, Google perceive those domain names to be perhaps a little bit more spammy than .coms. Do you think mm-hmm. a similar kind of thing might happen to .gurus, .agencies? It depends, right? I mean, I think one of the reasons .info got that kind of spammy reputation is they sold them very cheap. Uh, mm. You know, you could get them for a dollar. Some of the domain names out there right now, like .top, you know, you can get for a dollar and they're selling lots of them. Um, others though are more expensive than .com, so I think those will avoid that. And so it's actually better to invest in a domain name that costs a bit of money. Then it, it could be, it could be. You know, for now, Google is actually uh, one of the new top-level domain name companies. Put out a kind of a white paper recently suggesting that maybe these new domain names would get better SEO. And Google came out and said, "No, it's it's just the same. <laughs> We're ignoring yeah. it. You know, if it's to the right of the dot, we we just ignore it. That might change over time." Um, you know, and there's some regulated name spaces where I could see Google potentially in the future giving some added weight to something. You know, dot bank, you have to be a bank to use it. So there's some, you know, credibility there that that could make it uh I, I could see Google at some point saying, Yeah, we should we should show this higher in the search rankings. But for now, they say that it doesn't matter what your what your top level domain option is. Now there's some exceptions, right? You know, some that are known as being spammy. And then, of course, your country code matters if you're searching from particular places. So, um, but yeah, in general, right now, it, it doesn't matter. They, they say. 
So yes, they, well, they say that um, they don't look at the phraseology. They don't look at the keywords within a, a top-level domain, certainly. But I would imagine that over time, they'll look at the context of it, and if the types of websites that use them are from a particular genre, country, type mm-hmm. of business, then mm-hmm. you would think that it would start to associate businesses as being more likely to be that type of business too. You know, Google says, hey, as long as it improves the search experience. And I know a lot of people, especially in SEO, say, ah, you know, as long as it improves your bottom line. But but the, the reality is, you know, if at some point it makes sense, if someone's searching for a dentist to show someone who's on a dot dentist or dot dental domain name, they'll, they'll do it, right? If there's credibility there. But if, if, you know, spammers start using dot dentists, then of course they wouldn't, you know, <laughs> as soon as people figure it out and it, it results in a, in a worse search experience, they, they wouldn't. And I'm uh, talking about domain names. I was at your domain name, domainnamewire.com, mm-hmm. your website earlier on today. And I must admit, I was actually quite impressed. Uh, first of all, the, the volume of content mm-hmm. that you publish is, is that all yourself that, um, that publishes content? Have you got other people that work? For the most part, uh, 99% of the articles are, are mine. Um, wow. I, I've, I have had a, a couple kind of freelance writers do particular types of things and guest articles as well. But yeah, it's over 10,000 posts now um, over the past uh, 11 years. Yeah, a little that bit is... over 11 years. So. Wow. So that's, you're talking about an average of three posts per day then? If, if, yeah, if three per, uh, yeah, yeah, three, three per day. So, wow. um, yeah, is it 10,000 or 9,000? Maybe it was only 9,000 posts, but it's a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you can't, you can't say only in front of 9,000. Right. That doesn't work. <laughs> well, I, I think a, a lot of people listening are probably like, wait, how, how can you write so much about domain names too? You know, and, <laughs> and, and there's actually quite a bit of interesting stuff, especially for people that buy and sell domain names or, or own a domain registrar, um, you know, uh, posts about domains that have sold for a lot of money. Um, post about new domain options out there, write about legal issues, so cyber squatting. Um, one of the posts today was about a takeover offer for one of these uh, domain name companies. Um, so there's, there's quite a bit of stuff that goes on. I know it's a niche, but you know, um, it's, there's actually quite a bit that goes on in it. And the other thing that I was impressed about is the amount of interaction that you get because mm-hmm. you regularly get double figures of, of comments on each article that you publish as well. Now, is is that something that you actively try and promote? Do you have an email list that drives people towards that? Because you seem to get more interaction on your blog than you do get on like Twitter or Facebook. And right. generally, you know, businesses nowadays seem to be getting more interaction on, on social rather than actually on their own sites. And you're bucking the trend a bit there. You know, I I think it's, uh, it's a couple things. So uh, unfortunately, one one of the things that I haven't done well is the email list. Um, I really just started kind of doing the pop-up opt-ins and stuff about four or five months ago. Um, it was really a missed opportunity for me, you know, starting 11 years ago, but a Twitter, I have a good Twitter following of about, uh, well, over 30,000 people. Um, and so people will comment there, but a lot of it gets driven back to the blog because I have a lot of opinionated readers, right? And, and so they want to post in a place where the most people will see it, right? If they post on Facebook or Twitter, not as many people see it if they're not following them and that sort of thing. So, so I think that drives a, a lot of it. Um, and, you know, the domain name community is, it's small, but it's active, uh, the the number of people that buy and sell domain names and these domain registrars it's a 
it's a very kind of active and and, uh, and and there's also this continual kind of butting heads between the new new top level domain people, these new web addresses and dot com. So whenever there's a post there, you'll have the people saying, see, I told you so these new domains suck. And, you know, the other people coming in saying no. So um, I, I think it has a lot to do with the with the community as well. So your domain name's obviously got a keyword phrase in there, you know, in relation to the subject is talking it does. about. It does. I mean, looking back, are, are you quite satisfied with the domain name that you chose, or do you wish that you maybe tried to actually uh, select a brand name that was more right. uh, trademarkable and that kind of thing? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. So I'll say a couple of things on that point. Um, you know, if you search when I search for domain name news, which I would think would be a relevant search term for mine, a site that hasn't been updated in a long time actually pops up and its domain name is domainnamenews.com. Um, and so that kind of goes to show, speaking of SEO, how having that in your URL, whether it's because it's in your URL or because people link to you by that name, so the anchor text, uh, mm. it does matter. So th the second thing is I, I bought dnw.com for domainnamewire.com, the acronym, um, back last decade at some point. Uh, I think it was maybe 08. And so, so now I've kind of, that's kind of the brand within the industry as well It's just DNW. And so having that three letter domain name that people can type in and get forwarded to the site, um, makes it, makes a big difference. Um, so, uh, you know, creating kind of a brandable name around it. It's a small enough industry that whenever anyone hears domain name wire, they know exactly what it is. Um, and then adding DNW also made that, uh, much better. It kind of gave me a brand, if you will, the DNW brand. So got you. And did you have to actually purchase that? Um, I or did. Was it actually publicly available. I yeah. did. Um, that one, uh, in retrospect, I got a great deal on. I think it was it's about eleven or twelve thousand dollars. And if anyone follows the market recently, three letter domains like that sell for a lot more. You know, fifty right. to a hundred thousand dollars, and that's just to another investor. Um, you know, if someone actually started a business that had an acronym DNW and wanted it, you know, it'd be hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, um, so that one, you know, in retrospect was a fantastic deal. I got. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I encourage people, a lot of people are opposed to buying a domain name that someone else already owns. And, um, you know, a lot of times you can get them for a great price. Uh, I have this site podcastguest.com that I know you're familiar with and, that domain name was registered and I bought it. I don't remember the price, but it was earlier this year for less than $500. So right. just because the name you want is taken doesn't mean that you have to pay a million dollars for it. And so I always encourage people to not give up when a domain name is taken and, and actually research and see if you can get it for, for a reasonable price. So what kind of service do you go to to find a domain like that? Usually what I recommend people do is go to a site called domaintools.com. And if you go there and you type, it's a who is search, you know, we sure. can look up who owns a domain. If it's listed for sale at a major marketplace, the major marketplaces are mostly Afternic and Cedo, S-E-D-O. It will say this domain name is for sale, click through, and it brings you to the relevant marketplace. Otherwise, sometimes I'll just go directly to one of those sites, Afternic.com or Cedo.com and start searching. So if I have a keyword I'm looking for a domain for, I can type it in there and see what's for sale. A lot of these have the price listed right there, so you don't have to even negotiate. You can just buy it. And the typical selling price will be below $2,000. Uh, 
you know, we, you hear a lot about, oh, it's $100,000 or $50,000. And yes, a lot of good domain names are, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them can be had for a couple thousand dollars. And yes, you could go register a new domain at GoDaddy for ten or fifteen dollars. But this is your this is your name, right? Um, yeah. I had uh, Matt Mullenweg, uh, creator of WordPress, on my podcast today, and I liked how how he put it because he was talking about dot blog domains and how they'd be about. He expects twenty to thirty dollars to register them. Which is more expensive than a dot com, but he said, "Look, this you're hanging out your shingle here. You know mm. how much if you owned a store would it cost just to get your sign in front of your store? You know, and yes. uh, and I also tell people you plan to be in business for a while, right? So amortize the cost over ten years. You know, three thousand dollar domain. If you plan on being in business for a long time, look at it as a few hundred dollars a year in in marketing expense." And, and, and it's you don't well want to be in business for a long time with a sign above you that you don't like. Exactly. Really, you just, uh, exactly. So, so what, what are the biggest mistakes that people tend to make when they're selecting a domain? Yeah, I'd say the biggest one is uh, we call it passing the radio test, which since we're doing a radio show right now or a mm. podcast, it makes perfect sense. If, if I told you a name, I said, hey, I've got this great new site called um, Window. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll check that out. And I'm like, yeah, it's spelled W-N-D-W dot I-O is the web address, yes. right? You know, can you remember that? And so, you know, a lot of people are like, well, radio, it doesn't matter anymore. Okay, if, if I'm at a bar and I'm telling you about this new site and I have to spell it out for you, that that's bad news. Um, so something that's simple to spell is kind of the, the key thing. And a great way to test that, is to call up 10 of your friends and say, hey, I'm thinking about naming my company or my site this. And they'll say, okay. And, uh, and then I'll say, okay, what did I just tell you? Spell it out for me and see if they can spell it correctly. Um, so you can imagine if, if there's like a digit in your name, like eight something or five something, that's one that probably won't pass that test because someone's mm -hmm. going to put you know the five digit and someone's going to put F-I-V-E. And so, but you know, but will if there's a number in there, will having both versions of the domain suffice? Yes, if you can get both versions, then that's fine. Uh, and if you can get the typos of things, you know, obviously when you get into press too, hopefully you're doing really well and people are writing about you. You don't want them to link to the wrong site and, and that sort of thing. I remember there was a dot com startup called Gazuntite back in the day. And they said they went out and registered like a hundred different variations of their name because no one can spell Gazuntite, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, you know, if you can get all these versions, then that's okay. But what I see a lot are people dropping vowels because they can't get the right one, and mm. then you know, a lot of people end up at the wrong site. And and I think that still matters. Uh, a lot of people point to successful sites that have quote-unquote, misspelled names. You know, Flickr was one of the early examples. There was no E mm. in there. Well, you know, the guy who owned Flickr.com spelled correctly was receiving hundreds of thousands of visitors every month. And if he wanted to do something nefarious there, uh, that could have been really bad for the company. Wow. Uh, they ended up actually getting into a lawsuit uh, that was settled later on. But uh, it's an example of the challenge that's there. Now, granted, if you're a brand new startup, spending a hundred thousand on a name, if you don't have the funding to then spend money on marketing, isn't a good idea. So I don't want to suggest, 
you know, if you come up with a, a name that you need to go get that, maybe you should look at a longer name, in other words, or, or one you can obtain rather than calling yourself window and spelling it, you know, really weird. Or uh, next, next door, I think when that came out, they were missing a letter and it became a big issue for them. Um, you know, I would just get a get a name that you can obtain for a price that you can't afford and, and go with okay, that so brand. If you're thinking of starting a business, um, so you haven't actually started yet, mm-hmm. then if you can't get any decent variation on a .com domain, do you think it's actually really worthwhile revisiting the name that you want to call your business prior to actually progressing with things? Yeah, I do. And and I would uh, there there are a couple of tools that will really help you brainstorm. There's one called Lean Domain Search, L E A N DomainSearch.com, and that's one of my favorites. It you put in a word and then it it puts a bunch of prefixes and suffixes on it. It takes the most popular ones and domain names and puts them on there and tells you if it's available. And you'd be surprised. Um, there are a lot of good domains that are registered every day within .com and then. Of course, you can look at some of these new extensions uh, as well. And uh, those, the drawback to those is, again, if I'm in a bar and I tell you to check out digital.marketing, are you going to remember mm. it was, are you going to be like, wait, is that digitalmarketing.com? Is that digital, you know, dot D-O-T marketing? So I think over time that will change. But right now in 2016, people do still kind of, at least in the United States where I am, think .com, and, and they end up typing that on at the end. And what about the future of doing business online? Because a lot of businesses don't necessarily use a website in order to make quite a bit of money online. Right. You get many businesses doing good revenue on Amazon or having their own mm-hmm. app. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that it might not necessarily be important for certain businesses to have a website and thus have their yeah. own domain name? You know, it really remains to be seen. With Amazon, yes, I, I get that. Uh, with an app, you're depending on iTunes, I guess, at that point, in the Android market, the search rankings there. So you're kind of at their mercy. The other concern I have is if you name your app some funny spelling, still when people search for it in iTunes, you're running into the same issue. The other thing is most app companies, they still need to have email support, right? And so what's your yeah. email address going to be and are people going to get confused there? And I, I have to say is, is like I, I, I know companies have started companies on like a .org or a .net and I own a .com and, and people are sending email meant for the owner of the .org, the .net, and it's coming to me as a .com owner. And, and that, especially if you're dealing in something sensitive like say medicine, that yes. can be very disconcerting. Um, a lot of web people aren't that savvy. I, I had on one of my domain names, I had someone send me like someone's x-rays, you know, hey, this is for the doctor's appointment. <laughs> you know, and fortunately, it was a dentist. It was just someone's dental x-rays. But, you know, I think from a security standpoint, having a domain name that is easy for people to spell and they're less likely to mess up, um, it, it matters. It still matters today. Well, coming up, we're going to be learning about the one piece of software that Andrew couldn't live without. But first of all, I'd like to mention a cracking webinar that I'm going to be hosting soon. So it's called the 26-Week Digital Marketing Plan Bootcamp. And I'm going to be joined by Mark Asquith, Lucas Zelezny, and Johnny Ross for that. So all previous digital marketing radio interviewees to brainstorm digital marketing strategies for one lucky business. So I'd highly recommend that you watch that live. And I'd love you 
to see you in the audience there. So um, if um, you'd like to join us, make sure you're subscribed to my email list. That's over at digitalmarketingradio.com. And hopefully that's a domain name that's easy to remember. That is. is that okay there, uh, Andrew? Yeah, yeah that, that is. That is digitalmarketingradio.com. That's, that's pretty simple. Pretty simple. So. <laughs> well, let's segue into the second section of discussion. So that focuses on Andrew's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with? Software I couldn't live without. So, Andrew, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Right. So um, from a marketing success, I'm thinking here from a domain name perspective. Um, and that would be a service I mentioned earlier called DomainTools.com. Uh, and it's... It's a who is service. You can see who owns a domain name, but it, it actually records the history of a domain name as well. So I can say, find out who owned a domain name before. Um, and that can be extremely useful before you buy a domain name to make sure that maybe it wasn't used for a nefarious purpose or maybe it was stolen at some point. Uh, if you're buying a valuable domain name, you just kind of want to look at kind of the title history. So I use domaintools.com essentially every day multiple times a day. So if that was taken away from me, it would be quite painful. Wow, that's great advice. Now, I've used the service before, but I don't think that anyone on Digital Marketing Radio so far has recommended it. And that's um, 158 before you. Okay. So okay. yeah, it's good, good to have something unique and different on there. But okay. here is a slightly more challenging question. Okay. So what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? You know, I was at a, a Future of News conference in, um, uh, in Austin uh, that I was, I was trying to think who was sponsoring it. But at any rate, there was someone from IBM there talking about how she prototypes. And so, you know, obviously I prototype websites as well when I'm coming up with an idea. And she talked about a really cool tool called prototyping on paper. And uh, you can literally kind of draw up, um, she, she told me anyway, <laughs> again, I haven't used it, but you know, a wireframe, a crude wireframe on a post-it note for a website, take a picture of it and make certain parts kind of clickable to then go to someone and say, hey, here's my idea for a site. You know, what would you do when you showed up here? And it was, it was pretty clever compared to other kind of wireframing tools and, and such that you use kind of to get that kind of very simple um, process. So, so I definitely plan on trying that out next time I build a website. And that's just prototypeonpaper.com, is it? Uh, prototyping on paper. And I'll say that's an app. So I don't know if they own prototypingonpaper.com, but I hope they do, because uh, I would imagine that was available at the time. <laughs> well, I'll search and find the app and yeah. include that in the show notes in digitalmarketingradio.com. Right. Let's move on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back on the first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? Yeah. So that was back in the late 90s. And first of all, I kicked myself because back then you could get, you know, pay-per-click clicks on valuable terms for like pennies <laughs> at mm. sites like goto.com. So first of all, I wish I would have done more online marketing at that time and had more kind of products to sell. But frankly, um, I think the biggest impediment to me being able to try out certain things has been lack of ability to code. Um, you know, I taught myself HTML, which I think is very important in digital marketing. But I think if I would have learned kind of a level above that, I could have tried out a lot more things and, and kind of rapidly built sites and services to test and then drive traffic to and see if they worked. Whereas I've always relied on third party people to help me out. And I think it's perhaps 
somewhat less important today because there are these marketplaces where you can connect with coders right away mm-hmm. um, to do things for you. But it's still something, you know, I, I kind of wish I knew how to do. I guess there's two different sides to that because um, you could say that um, if you knew how to do that, then you'd be focusing time on areas that might not progress your business as quickly mm-hmm. as perhaps marketing or, or, or strategy. And other people might advise, no, don't learn that because then you can actually get other people to do those things and you can focus on on building your business as quickly as possible. But is it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I've heard both sides of that argument, you know, and, and I think, again, now it's much easier to find someone to develop for you. Oh, um, yes. But, you know. I remember I, using, uh, using a service called rentacoder.com. Uh-huh. I think um, that was back about 10, 11 years ago. And I think they became... Elance and then Odesk and now Upwork. Right, right. Yeah, the names change a lot. There's freelancer.com. Um, and, and again, yeah, I don't think someone should code just because they can. I think just knowing it would help you, you know, work with developers that you hire and maybe rapidly prototype something just to get it out there and, and try it. So do you think that the average marketer or perhaps even entrepreneur should know a little bit of code nowadays? You know, I think at a baseline, and I know developers wouldn't really consider HTML code in a lot of ways, but being able to get in there and manipulate a template, an online template, um, and being able to connect the dots, the WordPress, and with, you know, other third-party services, that base level is very important, and I'd say that's where I am. Um, You know, learning Java, learning some, you know, Ruby on Rails, or, or getting into a specific coding... I don't know. Obviously, it hasn't been painful enough that I've actually haven't gone out and learned it. But, um, you know, I think if if someone's in college right now and they have that opportunity to take a yeah. few courses there, um, I think that'd be awesome. And I know some, you know, one of the people I met at that Future of News uh, conference taught herself how to do enough coding to move from to, to tell stories, right, to to design, you know, Stories have gone from just reading something to interactive stories, interactive maps and clicking on different parts and seeing different, you know, stats and that sort of thing. So um, I can see how that'd be a huge advancement for someone, even if they're just in marketing, right? This is someone who is a journalist who is able to advance their career by learning how to code. So Absolutely. That and typing. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> because too many of us just type with two fingers. Right, nowadays. right. <laughs> Okay, well, moving on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Okay. Just two rows here. You're trying not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Okay. Ready to go? <laughs> Email or Twitter? For marketing, Twitter. Audio or video? Audio. Affiliates or display advertising? Display. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one relations? Uh, one-on-one relations. Paid search or SEO? Paid search. Email contact form or telephone number? Email contact form. Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? For me, global marketing. I did it. All right. That was very impressive. Yeah, there's no uses of both. Um, I'm trying to think of one that you even struggled with slightly. Um, the first one probably maybe surprised me mostly. You said for marketing Twitter, 
um, yeah. rather than email. Yeah. You know, so I, you, I, I should explain that. You know, I think that obviously when you have an email list, it's powerful. For me on Domain Name Wire, um, I've just built up a great Twitter audience. And since it's news related, you know, news, Twitter is kind of the place for news. Um, so it's been extremely valuable there. That said, I would trade in my 32,000 Twitter followers, 32,000 email, <laughs> you know, so. Um, and do you have any concerns about the future of Twitter? How yeah, do you think it so, might so, you know, that's one of those things where Facebook started charging you to get access to your fans, right? And so if Twitter starts playing around with that feed uh, and, and who sees it, the, the reason I like Twitter more than Facebook is I can see everything someone's post if I follow them and, and vice versa. So, Whenever someone is in between you and your customer, that is an issue. We, we kind of see that with email sometimes too, right? Gmail is between you and your customer and they might put yeah. it in that promotional the box. Promotions but, tab, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's funny how emails kind of come back in vogue. You, you probably say it never went out, but right, for a lot of people, they moved to social media and such. And, um, you know. I mean, the, the conversation was back in 2008, 2009, that um, email was dying and that everyone's moving on to social media. Right. but. As soon as Facebook st st started actually reducing organic reach in pages, just everyone retracted a little bit. Yep, yep. And that's why I would encourage anyone, uh, and this is one great use for these new domain names, is instead of directing people to say facebook.com slash something to be a fan or to uh, YouTube at a particular URL, use one of these new domain names to point people there. That way, if you have to change from, say, Periscope to some other live streaming thing and you just have you know david.me or you know something on davidbain.me or davidbain.video you can quickly just redirect where that goes and then you know if people if you have that on your business cards and such it's easier for people to find you at the at the new place so so that, that always brings me back to domains again and um dot me is obviously a domain name for a, a small country and also dot yeah. ly as well yeah. it's libya yeah. i believe as well yeah. Yeah. Is there any potential negative with a business that's based in another country selecting one of those domain names? Um, so, yeah, so these these things are called country code domain names, and they're all the two-letter domain extensions you see. And .co is another popular one, which is technically Columbia's country code, and they've just kind mm. of turned it into a, a larger brand. You know, it really depends. .ly, Libya, when Libya was going through its... Uh, its uh, Challenges. Yes, let's call it that. Um <laughs> There was risk there, and, and there are root servers all over the world, but there was risk that, you know, Gaddafi could have said, oh, I don't like Bitly is on Twitter, and they're spreading this revolution. I'm going to delete that domain, and then it would have gone out to all these servers saying, delete that domain, uh, and that could have been a big issue for them. So I think it's something for people to be careful about. .me doesn't concern me too much. They have a long-term partnership. It's profitable for the country. Um, .co, similarly. Uh, but some of these ones, you know, .io, uh, which is technically the Indian Ocean territories, um, uh, .ly's concerns me. That's not a stable place still. Uh, it, it's something to to think about. I think at least be aware that what these domains are. Uh, mm. and, in, and in those cases, and they also aren't as tightly regulated as, say, .com is. Um, right. So there's potential that they could just you know, jack up the price overnight and, and then you'd have to switch domains or pay the new fee to renew your domain. So it, it really depends. I don't, I, I hate to put all of these names in one bucket like that. Um, cause the same thing applies to, 
uh, these new domain names, there are fewer pricing controls on them than there are with, say, .com. Wow. Okay. So, well, moving on to the $10,000 question. So if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, mm -hmm. what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? So I would think of this from the perspective of my podcastguests.com service because that's what I'm trying to grow right now. I would put that in the Facebook advertising. Um, and that, that's how I've grown podcastguests.com over you know, over a thousand people within a, a couple months is targeting people mm -hmm. on Facebook that are podcasters. And I would just measure it by the number of, uh, frankly, the people have opted in to that, uh, to that service. And what type of advertising is most effective for you in Facebook? I, I presume you focus on the newsfeed? Yeah, you know, and in a lot of cases, I just let, uh, this may sound scary and it may bother you as a digital marketer, um, I let Facebook do that work. Um, of figuring out, I'm like, okay, you know, either here's my CPM or I let it run for a day with maybe a $25 limit to see what kind of, or CPA, you know, I end up getting. Um, and then I'll track it with the Facebook pixel to see how many people sign up. Um, and so whether that's the feed, the feed is usually the most successful, but if they want to show right hand column or if Instagram works, uh, mobile, you know, works very well now, or is it, didn't use to, especially if it's something simple like sign up for this service. Um, so that that's generally what I do with uh, Facebook. As you're targeting podcasters, do you tend to actually just display your ad for people on iOS devices or in certain countries? Um, I do for for this service definitely English only, uh, and and a lot of times they'll just do U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia, uh, which I'm probably missing out on a lot, but I. I think maybe doing a separate campaign for other English-speaking countries, whether it be India, which has a large English population, um, you know, in some of these other countries, uh, South Africa, for example. I think maybe separating those out makes sense. Otherwise, your CPAs can get really – the results you're getting can get really mixed up. I don't think I heard of – podcast guests through Facebook. Okay. I can't, can't remember. Um, um, we're actually heard of it initially because I, I think Digital Marketing Radio was on it on your first newsletter. It was very me. early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And podcasts like yours, we should run it again in the future because they're getting a lot more responses now. Um, a lot more people that are interested in being guests on the program. Wow. Great. I mean, I think I got about seven or eight responses or something like that, Yeah, which was great. Now, now you probably get 30 or 40. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it might be too many. So <laughs> well, the, the thing is, I'm at the stage now where people generally are approaching me anyway. Yeah. You know, even mm -hmm. through my website, so mm -hmm. I, I generally don't have to reach out right. to people. But it was it was a lovely thing to use, and <laughs> always scares me. Maybe I have to. It would be a great thing to actually kick start a podcast with. Certainly, you know, if you're struggling to get guests to begin with, or 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 is it not so relevant for that kind of podcast? Uh, I try to get people that have been around for a little while, but yes, right. a, a lot of them. But you know, it's it's two sided, right? It also helps you get guest bookings on other podcasts too. So a lot yeah. of people just use it so that they can get on programs like yours um, very easily, rather than emailing you separately, following up that sort of thing. 
my number one takeaway. Well, Andrew, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, <laughs> but what would you say is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their businesses? I would say when it comes to domain names, A, domain names still matter. Oh man, if I do A and B, that's not a single thing. Uh, <laughs> let me leave you with the radio test, which is when you pick out a domain name, make sure that if you tell someone that name, they can understand how to spell it and how to say it back to you. Great. And that's probably even just the right amount for a tweet as well. So there you go. Uh, try and get to do that first. <laughs> um, so that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for our listener to find out more about you and what you do? Sure. You can find me online at DomainNameWire.com or as I mentioned, DNW.com for short. I'm on Twitter at DomainNameWire and the uh, podcast guest is just PodcastGuests.com. So thanks, Andrew, and thank you, dear listener, too. If you enjoyed what Andrew shared today, tell us what you think. iTunes review, of course, is always good, and I might even read it out in a future episode of Digital Marketing Radio. And uh, if Twitter is your thing, at David Bain is my handle. So it's, maybe it's your thoughts on uh, this episode. Maybe it's your thoughts on a future episode topic. Whatever it is, it would be good to hear from you. But until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios. Thanks again, Andrew. Great episode. Thanks.